Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner. We are talking Super Bowl. We're going to do a little bit on the rookies there, but also kind of do an overview. I know it's two for one, rookies and prospects. We're going to go a little three for one, bring up the NFL, bring up the Super Bowl this weekend. Then also we're going to talk about top defensive prospects at each position. Those are live on PFF.com. We have position rankings for every position in the draft outside of special teams right now on PFF.com. So firmly recommend you go there. Check that out. We also have our draft guide out, Senior Bowl edition, over 100 profiles in that. So a lot of good things happening at PFF.com. But let's get to Sunday. The guys are in Miami. George, Eric, Sam, Steve, they're living it up. Cuban sandwiches. We're here in Cincy. Skyline chili kind of flown out of the mouths here. But Let's go, let's go into the Super Bowl and talk about these rookie classes because both have had kind of heavy impacts for the Chiefs and the Niners. Yeah, both in terms of wins above replacement added from this rookie class. Both are in the top five. For, wow. And you obviously the 49ers, they've, their rookie class has been well talked about. I mean, Nick Bosa, probably the best edge defender we've ever seen as a rookie. Uh, also, Debo Samuel has been fantastic, you know, down the stretch there for them at wide receiver. And so everyone's talked about, and Dre Greenlaw, Justin School, you know, later round picks that they've hit on. But the Chiefs, low-key, had a very good draft. No first-round pick, but their two second-rounders, Mecole Hardman and Juan Thornhill, made a massive impact. Thornhill obviously won't be playing towards ACL towards the end of the season here. That's a huge blow for them in this game. But uh, I think what Casey did in this past draft is a big reason why they're here right now. I want to stay with the San Francisco 49ers, specifically Nick Bosa. I know he won, I think, Pepsi 2019 Rookie of the Year. He was our defensive rookie of the year here at PFF. But people, these Raiders fans are in our mentions saying Max Crosby had more tackles for loss or more sacks, whatever it was. Come on, talk to the people. Tell them why. I mean, Nick Bosa was uh, on a different level from a pressure perspective. How quick he won. His pass rush wins were insane. He was also a very good run defender. This guy was a better impact player in all phases than, than other any other edge defender, any other rookie edge defender this year. Yeah, I mean, like, everyone wants to quote Max Crosby's you know, sack total. Whatever, that's great. Sacks are impactful, but, like, you can watch, you can flip on the tape. Like, we're capable of doing that and watching, like, <laughs> each player and noticing, hey, one's way more dominant. Like, Nick Bosa looks like he's been in the NFL for, like, three or four years now. Max Crosby has games where you don't even see him. Like, mm-hmm. like he doesn't make plays in games. He gets taken out because he's still a rookie. Like, he's still developing. That's no shame in that. Yeah. Rookies just hit the NFL, and they're not – so few of them are impact, you know, sort of high-quality players. Nick Bosa is one. Max Crosby still kind of getting there. Yeah, I think, you know, with Max Crosby, the thing is, like, your pressures are more predictive and more indicative of play than sacks. Like, you see sacks do not correlate yeah. year over year as much as pressures yeah, do. And Nick Bosa is Bosa up like there. 30 yeah. more pressures. And Nick Bosa is, has year. been great from a pass rushing perspective, far better than Max Crosby, regardless of what the sack totals say. And now I want to get into the two receivers, too. Debo Samuel, Miko Hardman, both playing in this game. Debo has been fantastic after the catch, perfect for Kyle Shanahan's mm-hmm. scheme. His route running, also very underrated coming out of South Carolina. He's living it up in San Francisco's scheme. And Miko Hardman, he's doing exactly what they wanted him to do, stretch the field, be this big play guy down the field. I was going to say, they both very much speak to why fit matters at mm-hmm. the receiver position. We talk about fit for... Uh, you know, pretty much every position that's away from the football, that's far away uh, from the so wide receivers, cornerbacks, you need to be fit into a lot of guys need a role that's perfect for them. If you swapped positions and asked Debo Samuel to do what Michael Hardman's doing, you wouldn't be as good. Yeah. If you asked Michael Hardman to do what Debo Samuel's doing, you wouldn't be as good. Like uh, Debo Samuel is fantastic with the ball in his hands after the catch. He turns into basically a running back. I think he is. Uh, up there in terms of the top three most broken tackles after the catch this year of any receiver in the NFL. That is his game. He's very shifty as a route runner, but he's not a downfield, not much of a downfield threat. Michael Hardman, uh, you know, oppositely, is very much just like drags, over routes, like deep posts, deep route tree, like things that just take advantage of his raw speed, get him the ball with some space, and then watch him, you know, fly up the field. Both those guys have been excellent in their particular roles. Uh, Hardman's very much surpassed my expectations of what he could be as a rookie. I thought he was going to be limited in terms of winning down the football field. And and a lot of his wins, truthfully, have been from the slot and not necessarily like him beating coverage down the football field. But like speed still plays. Mm -hmm. He's the reason why you still draft speed at the receiver positions because you can it just creates so many problems for defenses schematically. Uh, if you get a guy like that running dead full on at your safety without any sort of chip on him, you're screwed. You're just you're screwed. And that's what the Chiefs do better than any other team in the NFL is scheme that up. I think you know the use of Debo Samuel and Miko Hardman is a microcosm of why on these radio hits all week long, people ask Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, who's the better play caller? And they're one and two. Yeah. And in Chris's opinion, I know he thinks that. I think everyone thinks these guys are two of the best offensive play callers in the game because guys like Debo and Miko are used to their strengths and limited and not not 
you know, given their weaknesses. They're, they're yeah. put in a position to excel. They hide their weaknesses mm-hmm. and, again, use them to the best of their abilities. I think I've been very impressed with how each player has been used in each respective offense. Last thing I want to touch on here is, you know, we, we have that segment on the 2-4-1 Drafts podcast to chug a prospect. I want to chug a rookie here, Juan Thornhill. What mm-hmm. was your take on his rookie season? He, I think the former Virginia cornerback turned safety, had all of this athleticism in the world. I think he really, really stood out for me this season. Yeah, he was a big part of their defensive turnaround, you know, during the regular season this year. They were just so much more sound over the middle of the field, so many fewer busted coverages. And I think that's uh, that's one of the biggest things is, you know, a young safety. You just worry about him picking up the speed of the game. Like, will he be able to, because uh, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of like, it's a lot of sort of mental thought processing. You can be the most athletic, you can be the most talented safety in the world. Uh, it's just a lot of information, you know, change from college to pro. And I think he handled that very well. Didn't see him make a lot of mistakes on the back end of this defense. And then the playmaking ability, you just you knew would translate. Like with how many picks he had, he had eight picks last year at Virginia, former cornerback, like those ball skills, you knew would translate. The fact that they hit the ground running so soon, he didn't have the best grade in the world, but I think you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be a top 10 safety sooner rather than later. Here. With Juan Thornhill, I know something that you say when you're evaluating players is you have to see it. I think he was mm-hmm. a very consistent player on tape, but there's a play where he dives in on an out. And then the, yeah. the, the, the quarterback pumps the out and goes over the top of him. And he's able to get back into position and make an interception. It's one of the more impressive plays. I think it was a plus two in PFF system at mm-hmm. the collegiate level. When you see stuff like that, in addition yeah. to the consistency you saw on tape, he tested very well. That's when you can really start to feel really comfortable projecting a player playing well in the NFL. He, I really do think that. And he was one of those guys where it's just like he gets drafted at 63 and kind of like everyone's like, that's way too low. Like yeah. Every single person who like watches draft prospects is in agreement that the Cowboys are reeling. How, exactly. Right now. It's it's, like, it, the Cowboys is the, the ones where I think he was mocked to the Cowboys a ton yeah. and they ended up going with the, what was the UCF defensive interior. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Tristan name? Hill. Yeah. Tristan Hill over Juan Thornhill. Oh my goodness. I mean, they, they are reeling right now, but it's just like, you look at some of the picks in front of him. You got, you know, Joe Juan Williams from Vanderbilt goes to the Patriots at 45. You have Drew Sample, tight end goes to the Bengals. Like, Don't you're bring like, up the Bengals. You're, look, <laughs> you're like Paris Campbell goes in front of him. Like you're looking at guys who are. It's I'd like it's, diff, it's hard to say objectively worse mm-hmm. when you're talking about the draft because you know no one really knows. Yeah. But just like in a vacuum, you're relating those two positions that those respective guys play. And Thornhill's just like up here, and yeah. those guys are down here. Like you have in the draft, you. Drafting need like that over good players will just come back to bite. I, I, I want to say something on the draft, too. I still think PFF overall is ahead of the curve in really buying into this fact of positional value. Jelani Tavai. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Forgot Posi- about that one. <laughs> positional value in the draft and also do not buy into need. Draft the best yeah. player available. PFF is ahead yeah. of the game until that, it, that we are still pushing that. When we do these mock yeah. drafts on PFF.com or what we would do, a lot of the comments uh-huh. we do receive is like, we don't need exposition. We don't – like these fans in the comments. We don't need exhibition. That should not be a thing anymore. Drafting for need needs to be killed. It is not something that really you often benefit from. And the best way to sort of like visualize that is to look at how many uh, how many rookies actually are quality starters. You, yeah. And you go into our, you know, even our PFF rookie team, you know, rookie team of the year, mm-hmm. you will have guys with below average grades yeah. on that team. Making that team because it's so difficult to just find so if like you needed uh, say a linebacker, there like you know Bobby Okariki made the team. He played like half the snaps for the Colts, and like that that is a guy who makes the all rookie team. Uh, Dre Greenlaw made the all rookie yeah. team too. Had just like an average grade for a linebacker. So if you needed a linebacker in this draft, you weren't going to get a guy that's going to be an impact player year one. Like so so why force yourself into uh, into drafting bad players just because you need them. Sometimes it's just not happening at that position. That's what free agency is for. Another, another, Don't pencil yourself. Uh, another fact there, too, is that when – give me a single season, a single team that has run into the situation that has gone best player available and, and hated it and said, man, I really wish we drafted for need. You never yeah. run into teams like, we have too many good players it, at positions we don't need. Yeah. No, that's not a thing. It's you like, need good players every year, all year long. Yeah, so the Jaguars draft Josh Allen. You had Clays Campbell. You had Yannick Ngakwe. Are they upset that they drafted Josh Allen? Like, would they if they gave the Jaguars a do-over, they draft Josh Allen ten times out of ten? Yes, I mean, and I saw like, the Athletic did a do-over mock draft for this past season. Josh Allen goes number three to the Jets. Yeah, you know, like, that's how. That's, yeah. that's what exactly. you want to do. I don't think you ever need to be in a position where you're drafting for need or drafting for for a specific niche interest. Like, oh, we need a five tech, or like even go, going beyond position, we need a five tech. That's what we're going for. That just mm-hmm. limits you from an impact standpoint. And really, that draft is already a lottery. The best execs in the world miss. 
to put yourself in a position where you limit your chances even further, but like we only are drafting this position mm-hmm. at the top of round two, you're putting yourself in a, a Drew Sample situation like the Bengals yeah. were. I mean, that's just a problem. Again, I think we're a little bit ahead of the curve. I think you see like mock draft things that are like really emphasizing need rather than best player available. Mm-hmm. I think that needs to be a thing of the past. Dra- get need in free agency where you can actually assume veteran talent has an impact. Do not get need in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a rant there. Wasn't expected on the pod, but that's how these things go. Let's go ahead and dive into these do- top defensive prospects. Oh, wait, wait. Position. Should I get Super Bowl pick? Oh, let's get Super Bowl pick. picks. Yeah, true. Give me your Super Bowl prediction, pick, the final score, all that. Chiefs, 38 49ers 35. I think it's going to be kind of like that Saints. Uh, let's hope like the Saints 49ers game earlier this year was just like the scoreboards get lit up and everyone loves it. That sounds great. That's, I'm going to go I know, Chiefs. I'm going to go Chiefs 38, 49ers 20. I think no, this is a, a is a is a blowout. I think this Chiefs right. team gets up early and then keeps the gas pedal down. The thing that I bring up a lot when I'm talking about these, this Chiefs team and what they can do, that Houston Texans game. I know they came back. That was great. But when they were up 20, Andy Reid was still not running the football. He's willing to be aggressive in the postseason. He's one of those coaches that wants to keep the gas pedal down, throw the football yeah. for four quarters. Yeah. And I don't think this Niners defense is ready for it. I don't think this cornerback, you know, this secondary is ready for it. Pass rush is great, but you keep trying to throw the ball deep and get these big plays against. Richard Sherman, Emmanuel Mosley. I think this Chiefs team puts up numbers that the Niners can't really react to. All right, let's go ahead and move into these top defensive prospects at each position. We had a little bit of a Super Bowl prediction, but now let's go with defensive interior to star. The top 10 interior defensive linemen in this class. Go ahead and read them off. All right. At number one, we have Derek Brown from Auburn. I think that's a pretty safe bet. That's pretty consensus at this point. And uh, there might be guys. Uh, so number two is Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. I, I think Javon Kinlaw could be a better pass rusher than the next level. Like, I don't think Derek Brown ever gets into that, uh, you know, the Fletcher Cox, Aaron Donald, Chris Jones sort of tier of elite, you know, dominant pass rushers on the interior. To me, he's much more like an Akeem Hicks, mm-hmm. where she's just going to be disruptive, against, very disruptive against the run, dominant against the run, going to be a consistent pocket pusher but you're not going to get just utter dominance in the pass rushing to where other teams have the game plan for him. I think Javon Kinlock could be that. The next level. He gets a few more pass rushing moves. He has that athleticism and size to be that. So uh, that's why they're neck and neck on our board, mm-hmm. like 11 and 12 on our latest board. So both very good players. Uh, draft one, you won't regret it. Uh, on to number three, Jordan Elliott from Missouri High School, defense tackle in all of college football last year. Big fans of his game. Number four, Marlon Davidson from Auburn, love reclassified really on the interior that. with that weigh-in. Uh, Ross Blacklock from TCU comes in at number five. That very guy's athletic. getting locked in the first round. Yeah, he's getting some. DJ had him in the, his top 20 players. Uh, he's very athletic. Again, we haven't seen quite the production that TCU scheme is just like a nightmare to evaluate. We brought it up previously, like TCU. When I talked to Ben Banigan, this guy yeah. said he said he was watching yeah. tape on his own of NFL players trying so, to pick yeah. up new pass rush moves because he simply was not taught that at TCU. And Blacklock, now, I think that's a big reason why coaches and evaluators are all, in, yeah. are all on in him. He's an athlete. Ben Banigan, in a similar way, is a very, very good athlete. Mm-hmm. Get these guys that aren't being taught how to pass rush in the NFL and give yeah. them proper and, and he looks much more – so him and number six, Neville Gallimore of Oklahoma – are both very athletic defensive tackles. Probably, uh, testing-wise, Mike Testow is two of the most athletic defense tackles in this class. But I think Blacklock is such, so much more of a natural, uh, you know, natural defensive lineman. Like he just like uses his hands better. Like has a better way he approaches blocks. It just seems like Gallimore is almost still going through the motions, like still putting teaching into action. So that's what kind of separates them. On our board, number seven, Justin Matabuke from Texas A&M. You've raved about him. He has. Uh, some quicks to his game, has some really impressive pass rushing moves on tape. I think he offers that. I, I kind of like this defensive tackle class. These, uh, after, there's the top the first two. Seven. The, the top three, I think, are, or top four, excuse me, I think are surefire first rounders, going to add some pass rush. And then the, the next three are very good options, you know, if you're in the second round and need some help on your interior. Then you go to number eight, Raquan Davis from Alabama. He's just going to be good against the run. Like I'm not sure he's ever going to rush the pass to the next level, but he's going to be good against the run. Uh, he's six six, three hundred pounds, which just like I think it's, he's going to have over thirty six inch arms at the combine. Which he's is that classic absurd. Alabama defensive yeah. interior. It's he, the he Dalvin was, Tomlinson. It's the you know it's that that well, size. He, he's just, like the if he was playing in a three four in, in two thousand and two, he'd be like talked about as one of the best defenders. Top in the three pick. You know, like yeah, he would just like you're going to be excited has, to hear it. <laughs> you know, he, he has that classic build. Uh, number nine, Lucky Fotu from Utah, massive nose tackle. Uh, we've talked about him a lot in terms of just like the dude is, is very big. Like yeah. he just like is difficult to move, and that's what you want at the nose tackle position. Davon Hamilton at number ten from Ohio State had himself a great Senior Bowl. 
showed much more as a pass rusher there than any other nose tackle. So he cracks our top ten despite, you know. Was going against Nick Harris a bit. Which yeah. I think that, that, that was just a mismatch. Yeah, like he, he had a 40-pound advantage. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, liked, I really like that top ten. There's a couple I want to bring up there. I, I, like you said, the top three are some of those guys that can be elite kind of pass rushers at the next great. level. Like, Derek Brown, Fantastic Kinlaw. grades in the SEC. You, you trust that. Yeah, Jordan Elliott of Missouri. I want to talk about number four a little bit. Because, I mean, we, I wasn't super high on Marlon Davidson until I saw him weigh in in, in Mobile at 297 put on the short shorts for the one-on-ones, and then go in there and attack guards with reckless abandon and mm-hmm. really show that he could be an interior pass rusher yeah. with significant success at the next level. And that's the thing. Like, he was a very natural pass rusher off the edge. Like He had he had moves to the outside. He had moves into here, used his hands well, played with good leverage. Like The things you want to see from an edge rusher, it was just he didn't test mm-hmm. any sort of athletic offensive tackle. He wasn't, he wasn't beating them outside. Like, yeah. He just didn't have the speed. And that's because he's 200, you know, was 280 plus pounds or whatever <laughs> trying to rush off the edge. It's just difficult. And so he's a bull rush guy, inside move. And I'm just like, I don't know what you're going to do with that at the next level. The guy's just going to tackle. If you can't beat the edge, you're going to sit on that bull rush. You're kind of, you know, washed. And so he was in the 60s, but then shows up as a very much 297 pounds, very much a three technique interior player at the next level. And then that's, you know, his athleticism is good for an interior player. Obviously not good for an edge player, but it's good for an interior player. And all of a sudden, like, that opens up uh, so many more moves they can execute, so many more sort of, like, uh, the outside, inside, whatever he wants, he can go get. And we Mm -hmm. saw him do it at the Senior Bowl. And so that's why he skyrocketed up our boards. Like, if he can hold that weight and, you know, 17 more pounds and maintain that athleticism, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's something I want to bring up, too. I think he wore the weight well in Mobile. He yeah. wasn't sluggish. He wasn't slow off the ball. This guy had some quicks at the line of scrimmage when he was attacking guards. Mm-hmm. It's that edge defender that you were kind of had reservations about projecting him the next he didn't, level. He didn't Ja'Kai Polite to yeah, put on exactly. the 20 pounds. He did not Ja'Kai Polite to put on the weight. The guy looked really good down there. tag that as Ja'Kai Polite when you put oh, on bad man. weight and you just look like shit. That was, and the interview process, oh my gosh. The jaws that dropped at the combine when he was talking about the things he was saying was insane. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I never seen anything like that to be honest. And then you find out he was addicted to Swedish fish for a little bit. I mean, that's just a really good backstory for Jakai Polite. I will say, if you're addicted to Swedish fish, I feel like the and first time you try before, like Swedish drugs, fish you're going like, to be addicted. Swedish fish are not, is not a good candy. Like it is not. Yeah, that's what I'm I, saying. Like the first, if you're addicted to Swedish fish, like if you have like coke once you're going to be like i'm addicted to coke now too like because it's like objectively the, the soda or the better. drug I, like the, just anything okay like, right. like if you're addicted to something that shitty yeah like tasting wise you're gonna okay, like you have something good i mean next yeah thing you all know, of a sudden over. like that's that's a good point that's a really really good point all right let's go to number six neville gallimore it's not a guy honestly we've talked about a ton but no. there are there's a legitimate hive for neville gallimore coming out of canada i, I mean not canada he's canadian board oklahoma grad neville gallimore though just first step out of canada the, fresh out of canada uh <laughs> Um, first step is fantastic. Yeah. Very athletic. You saw that at the senior bowl. I will say this, though. If he doesn't win with his quicks, it's hard for him to bully down and get through the center. I think mm-hmm. he, he needs to win initially yeah, to it. win. And that's the thing. It was like he's just not natural in terms of like he doesn't have – he can't work multiple moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very much he's still sort of learning the position. That's that's fine because yeah. he's freakishly athletic. Like he, he was number two on Bruce Feldman's freaks list this past year behind Tristan Wirfs. Uh, he – Went from he lost twenty five pounds over the course of the off season. Bench presses apparently five hundred pounds, can squat eight hundred pounds, Same. cleans four hundred five pounds, and apparently ran a four seven six forty last year what? in the spring. So that's pretty absurd. Like Quinn Williams is at forty three. Like that that's, that's Quinn Williams time was absurd. So if he does that, like he will he'll probably go in the first round. Yeah. Like it reminds me of like, who is it, D Wayne or Robertson back the Kentucky defensive tackle who ran just like I think he ran the four sevens also way back in the day. Ended up going top ten. Uh, was trash. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I think the, not necessarily trash, but just like wasn't worth a top ten pick. I could see Neville Gallimore having that sort of career in terms of like someone might draft him top twenty because he's going to have yeah. absurd testing numbers, and then he's just going to be a fine player. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's just a fine defensive tackle. Like he, like I said, just the natural feel for the position, the way to beat offensive linemen just hasn't quite been there. Do you have a comp for Neville Gallimore? I guess he just gave one. D. Wayne Robertson, right? That's that sucks <laughs> for him, though. That's a that's a tough comp. We'll see. We'll see if we can get better than that. All right, let's jump to number eight. I think Robertson's top ten pick. I, I, I'm I'm really happy about how what like I think even like other media and evaluators where they are with Raekwon Davis because like you said, Raekwon Davis in 2002 is a top three player that people are falling in love with, drooling over mm-hmm. at this point off size and, and what he's done against the run with, with Alabama. But now people are off of him compared to guys who can actually rush the passer with consistency. I think that's it. It's like everyone's like, 
if he would have come out, like he almost like screwed himself by coming back another year. I think Javon Kinlaw and, and Derek Brown really helped themselves, really helped the draft stock by coming back. Yep. He screwed himself because he came back and was the same player. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to come back and be different. Because uh, if he would just come out of his junior, people are like, oh, you know, these traits, we can mold them, whatever. It might have been you know, yeah, a first-round pick. But now it's like, oh, for three straight years, you haven't developed at all as a pass rusher? Why? Yeah. Like, why? Like, th- there's actual concerns. Uh, so I, yeah. I, I do think I haven't think had a chance to talk to him. He wasn't at the senior bowl. He dropped out for, I don't yeah. even know, undisclosed reasons. I think it would have been interesting to talk to him about that, he, he that needed, development. I mean, you he know? needed to he look did. good I, in the one I definitely there. agree. He needed it. Um, let's go ahead and jump to edge defender. Give, yeah. me, give me your top ten in, in the, of the edge defender class. All right, so number one, obviously, <laughs> Chase Young. Do I need to say He's it, been number but, one since, like, what, week two of last year? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean this I mean, guy's that's, been insane. That's just, yeah, you can see it early on in his sophomore year that he was a different player. Um, two, and there's a big gap between one and two here, AJ Epinesa. I, I like Epinesa's game. I just I don't want to say he's, like, capped ceiling-wise because I, like, always struggle with that, but I just don't think he's – uh, he's, he's not on the freak level of Chase Young. Like, yeah. He's just not quite well, no there. He's just like he's just a very solid athlete. To me, he's kind of like a uh, Carlos Dunbar. Like, gotcha. I think it's complicated. It's just like you'll get a you'll get a good pocket pusher. You'll get a guy who can play every single down, nine hundred snaps a year. But you're not getting Khalil Mack that sort of level of yeah. edge rusher, which, which is like, a that's huge compl- drop off like, compared is, to yeah, Chase Young. Because Chase Young, you're Chase getting Young. a guy like a Khalil yeah. Mack, a Von Miller, a Bosa. You know, I think uh-huh. that, that Chase Young is that level. I think that's a great call for AJ Epinesa because Carlos yeah. Dunlap has played in the league for a long time yeah. now, been and very been, consistent, you know, but he's never been sacks. regarded as this, this like exactly. high, you know, like never been highly regarded as like one of the exactly. best edge fighters in the NFL. But like truthfully. I you still draft that top ten. Like, I agree. Yeah, like, no, I like agree. people are low on him, but I think that's still very much worth a top ten pick. Like you're getting a guy who's just like corner. Especially if he it's checks out in the interviews. Piece. I think yeah. if he checks out because Tar- Carlos done that. But I mean, another thing with him is he's a really, really good dude. And mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that's very smart between the years. Has been so active in the Cincinnati community. You get a guy like that too who can play that position, play a long uh, like longevity from a snap standpoint, and also yeah. be that smart to understand you know that stuff. I think is important. All right, number three, Curtis Weaver, Boise State, one of our faves. The production just off the charts. Like we're we're gonna bank on that production, especially like and even when he faced better tackles. Yeah. Like even when he faced better tackles, was still unblockable. And so like bad body, not the most athletic. We're gonna bank on the production mm-hmm. over necessarily those projectable traits. And but number four, the guy has absurd projectable traits. Julian Aquar, Notre Dame. Some I've seen people be very low on him. I don't even think he made Dar- Daniel Jeremiah's top fifty. Which is crazy to me because this guy's going to test out like a wide receiver I yeah. think, at the combine. Like I think he's going to run. The I think four he's fives. on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Yeah, too. I, I think he's going to run the four fives at two hundred forty-five ish pounds, and like he's a very good bull rusher, one of the best bull rushers in the country. Bull rushed, uh, what's his face? Who's Mackay Becton? Yeah, all the way back in like he had a bull rush pressure against Becton. Like if you're going to do it against three hundred seventy pounder, that's you know you're not not a lot of guys are going to be able to hold up to the bull rush if that's what you're capable of. So. Still a big fan of Julian Aquar's game with his athleticism, but then after that top four, it gets kind of rough. Like yeah. after after that, I'm just not a huge fan of this edge class. Daryl Taylor checks in at number five. He's a lot better down the stretch. Uh, he's just he's not anything special. I don't think athletically. Very strong player, but just like. He's all right athletically. Same I didn't with, hate his get-off, though. I, yeah. I don't think he has a necessarily terrible get-off. He's also like 255. So like, he True. is on the smaller side of the position. Bradley and I checks in at number six. Another guy just like kind of limited athletically. Very good hands. Worry about him being capped is like going to be – it's going to follow him around, mm-hmm. you know, very yeah, much so this draft season. Do you season, have but, a good comp for Bradley and I? Again, it's a guy who's limited athletically but technically – has this high, high floor because his hands are just so uh-huh. good. And he's he Bradley and I is going to beat very good off the tackles with his hands because I think yeah. he's that good from a hand standpoint. But thinking about an edge defender that lasts long and pushes that Khalil Mack type of Von Miller thing without the athleticism is rare. I, I don't see it I know. In, in the NFL. Yeah, so that one's tough projection necessarily for me. Number seven, Etor Grossmatos, Penn State edge defender. Uh, he's just the grades don't match the sort of hype surrounding him. I, I thought he was a guy who probably should have come back for one more season, and and because I don't think like he's so freakishly athletic that he's going to be like, oh yeah, you got to draft this guy in the first round. Bet straight. Like like Kalevon Chase on who checks in at number eight, uh, right behind Etor. He's he's gonna test like a guy who's like, okay, yeah, we can just like we can fix him. I don't think Etor is gonna test on that level. Like he has the size and length, but he's not freakishly athletic like that. And so if he would have come back and dominated offensive tackles, shown he could do that in college, then I think he would have been up into the top 10, 15 sort of mix next year. But I think he 
is a borderline first rounder at this point with you know what we've seen on tape or the NFL will see on tape from him. So Caleb on Jason number eight. Uh, we've talked about him just a ton at this point in terms of the production. It is not yeah. even close to there. Like not even close. Yeah, uh, he's faced. Yes, he has faced a lot of good offense tackles. Like he, he's not. Uh, he's not beating up on. He's not facing whipping boys there at tackle in the SEC, and he still you know has had some good reps against Andrew Thomas of the world against uh, you know Jack Harmon in the and in, in, uh, in the national championship game, Samuel Cosme in the Texas game, but like it's like one or two a game. Yeah, you see it. And it's like, why wasn't it five to six a game? Why wasn't it like every play if you're that talented? As he should have came back. I still think Caleb on Chase should have probably came back and then been like the number one edge yeah. defender in 2021, potentially. There, he could have reached that kind of ceiling. There, Yeah, there's a handful of guys on this defensive list that we'll talk about that I think should have came, come back to school. And but like, hear me very much could have so made Caleb, a ton Caleb of money. comes back. But he might still like be a top inconsistent. Like yeah. If Caleb came back and was That's similarly inconsistent, oh bet. man, that would have been yeah. really, really bad for him. Yeah, and it's a bet. And I think. Uh, he if he still goes top twenty that like you're fine like that's fine like he's he made the right decision at that yeah. point so all right number nine Josh Uchi out of Michigan little worrisome about his size but like he's actually bull rushed probably the best I've seen of a guy in the two forty like that weighs about two forty yeah. of anyone like O'Shane speed Zimenez, power thick I yeah mean, like great. he was actually o- O'Shane Zimenez came around that weight last year and all of a sudden like dropped way down our board because we just like hadn't seen him bull rush. Uh, didn't do it at the senior bowl either. Josh Uchi actually like has bull rush. Like he has that in his arsenal, has the power to has like the juice to do it. So he stays in our top ten. And then number ten is Terrell Lewis from Alabama, who I'm just not super high on either of the Alabama edge defenders. I mean, Terrell Lewis, when he when he weighed in, long arms, you cut to the gills. I mean, this guy looks looked fantastic. Part. Looks great. I think he'll yeah. test well too. Yeah. The problem is he does not play great. I would say even more inconsistent than Caleb on Jason in terms of how he wins as a pass rusher. It's just inconsistent, and even when he does win, it's not uber impressive. I hate to use uber impressive. I don't even know what the fuck that means, but here we are with Terrell Lewis well, it's at like number a, 10. Yeah, yeah, uber impressive was tough yeah, for you. I don't really don't like say that it. ever again. I'm not going to drop <laughs> that one again. All right, let's go. I want to talk about some specific guys on that top 10. Yeah. A quick thing on Curtis Weaver. I, I, this is kind of where I hope for him. I don't. He needs to test well if he's going to go high in this draft, but I kind of He hope, needs to be... Or needs to. I think he needs to not test. So, so to go high, I'm not sure there's anything to do. I don't think he'll yeah, test like yeah, off yeah. charts. But he needs to for us to still be like, hey, Chris Weaver's still a top three edge fighter. Just at least get to like average athletics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Zadarius, like Zadarius Smith had pretty rough testing numbers coming out of Kentucky and turned into one of the best. But they were like at least still average. They weren't mm-hmm. like four nine. He was like a four eight. Yeah. Like and it was like testing good, the, not the great count. for Curtis Weaver means he'll likely slip into the second round, maybe a little bit yeah. deeper in the second round. But then I think he has that opportunity to really live above to that, much, yeah. that expectation. So let's go to number four. Let's jump to Julian Aquara of Notre Dame. We know he's going to, like you said, test like a wide receiver. This guy's a freak athletically. Talk to me about his on-field production, though. I want to hear more yeah. about Julian Aquara, what he does on the field, the difference really between a Julian Aquara and a Caleb on Chason. Yeah, so the, I think the difference is. Uh, Julian Aquara was inconsistent as well. Like, he had games where it's just like, why is he not getting to the passer? But he also had games where he was unblockable. Like, mm-hmm. he has had, we've seen it turn on the Virginia game this year. Both the tackles, like, didn't have a chance. Like, yep. he was just winning. Dominated. Multiple different ways. Bull rush, like, throwing guys. Uh, and, and he is actually, like, I think he's a freakier athlete than Caleb on Chase. Like, that's why I can't, in my mind, like, get around the sort of why people are so high on Chase on. And not, not high, high on Aquara. On Aquara. Aquara, yeah, a year older, but Aquara was more productive as a junior than Kalamon was as a junior as well. Uh, had 61 pressures, I think it was six most in the country as a junior. Like, he was still getting the job done last year as well. So this one uh, doesn't really make sense to me. Like, I think he is just objectively the better prospect at this point with what yeah. we see on the football field and the athleticism. I don't know. We'll, get, we'll see when they both test out the combine, but I would not be surprised if Aquara's numbers look better than Chason's. You know what I could see in this process, this draft evaluation process, him being a late bloomer on boards? Guy who's going to go into February combine yeah. and, and then, then he's going to blow it up. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go back yeah. to the tape and then oh, find that they oh, yeah, oh, man, I really do like Julian Aquara. Yeah. And then he's going to start getting mocked in the first round. I yeah. could see that 100%. Similar to like but I don't think they're the same player, even close. But like Montez Sweat, when he tested out, people were like, "Oh my gosh, Montez I'm Sweat!" Montez. Here we so go. I'm on Montez Sweat. But the problem with Montez Sweat's tape, you never really saw him beat good offensive tackles, and you never really saw him win other ways than his speed and anticipated get off and things like that. Sure. With Julian Aquara, I think he has different moves than, than yeah. Montez Sweat. He, he looks like an athlete. Like Julian yeah. Aquara moves like an athlete. He drops into coverage. He's had some picks over the course of his career. Uh, very much reminds me of uh, Brian Burns just last year. Now, now he's actually a better bull rusher than Brian Burns. But very much reminds me of that in terms of just 
the dudes look like they're tight ends, not edge defenders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's go to off-ball linebacker. Let's go ahead and jump to the, the top 10 list from off-ball linebacker. I know Isaiah Simpson, Isaiah Simmons of Clemson is number one in yeah. a similar manner to Chase Young. And that yeah. number one guy at this position at edge defender and off-ball linebacker is tears ahead these mm-hmm. next few guys. But walk me through one through 10 at off-ball. Yeah, number two is Troy Dye from Oregon. He's just been so productive. Four years of production. Very smooth. I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to be a four or five guy, but he's probably going to be in the four sixes. That's more than enough athleticism. Has the length also to shut down sort of passing windows. Even with I, the, I think the he's big just, mitt that he had on his yeah. arm. The whole and that's the thing is like his grades sort of tapered off towards the end of the season with that mitt, but like he played through it with the mitt, uh, so can't necessarily hold that against him. But th- four straight years now of above average coverage grades for him, which is pretty good production at the college level. I just feel. He might not be. There are other guys on this list who other people have higher. Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen just have more athleticism, but they haven't been consistently as solid in coverage as Troy Dye. And again, we're going to value guys who we've seen them do it consistently over larger sample sizes because I think that translates better. Yeah. So Troy Dye has done that. Might not have the ceiling of those guys, but he's been very good. Zach Bond, number three, Wisconsin. Uh, the guy who played edge, Wisconsin. We think that he needs... I think the role he needs at the next level is a Dante Hightower. A Kyle Van Noy. Kyle Van Noy. Just a role where you're blitzing, like you're, you're splitting blitzing coverage on passing downs pretty 50, evenly. 50. Pretty <laughs> evenly. Like yeah. you want him getting after the passer because he does that extremely well. Uh, but You want opposing up. offenses somewhat surprised that he's in coverage. You know, yeah. you, you expect him to kind yeah. of be this passer and, and, and linebacker. Just, and like he had, he's more than athletic enough to play coverage in the NFL. I think he's going to run like, you know, 4 6 sort of guy. Mm-hmm. Like he is athletic. But he just hasn't done it quite yet. And I think, you know, maybe down the line he could be even more, but uh, utilize more on coverage. But his pass rushing and his blitz ability, you want to keep that there as well. Number four, Akeem Davis Gaither, Appalachian State linebacker. The, the dude is extremely explosive. Like, he, he might be the single most uh, impressive athletically of anyone after Isaiah Simmons on this list. Uh, obviously, only 219 pounds. Uh, that, that's I'm not great. For it. I'm all for it, though. I <laughs> but like 219 pounds right But now. he has shown, more so than anyone after Zach Bond in this linebacker group, that he can beat offensive linemen. Like, he yeah. rushed the passer off the edge for Appalachian State at 219 pounds and had a 82.2 pass rushing grade this past year. Like, mm-hmm. he had an actual good grade rushing the passer. Uh, so I, when I talked to him at the senior bowl, this guy he was do. eating 6,000 calories a day to get up to 219. He says he's going to continue to beef that up, get to 225 by the combine. Oh, and man. I think he's going to test very well. Can you imagine just like eating 2,000 or 6,000 calories a day as like being forced to? Like, yeah, oh, man. oh, but oh, I, I mean, this guy, I, I, think, I really do think, because I, I brought up two, because I mean, I talked to a handful of off-ball linebackers in last year's class saying yeah. that like, hey, I'm 230, 235, and these teams are not, 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 Scared they They're yeah. not. They don't care. They no, play yeah. linebackers. He said there are some teams that want more of a 240, 250 type of off-ball linebacker, but there are plenty of teams yeah. that want guys at 220, 225. I mean, I think that's where, like, Akeem, Akeem Davis Gaither, that weight, again, does not scare me. Deion Jones, I think, was 218, mm-hmm. 221 pounds, somewhere in that range. I think Akeem Davis Gaither, do not be scared of that 219. He gets to 225 by the combine, eating 8,000 calories a day, and then runs a good 40, looks great athletically. Yeah. I'm going to be really, really high on this guy. All right. On to number five, Kenneth Murray, Oklahoma. Really came on strong second half of the year. This past year, cleaned up a lot of his missed tackle issues from 2018. Uh, very impressed with his play down the stretch. That's why he ended up cracking our top five. Uh, I think these the f- top five linebackers are, I all feel pretty good about. I think all are sort of uh, you know, f- within, within the f- top 50 picks sort of guys. So, like, I think if you're taking any of these guys in the top 50 picks, I can get on board with that. It gets a little hairier after these top five. Number six, I have Willie Gay from Mississippi State, just because the guy the guy's not played a lot of snaps. He has very serious off-field issues. I think he declared for the draft because I'm not sure he would have had a spot, uh, you know, on the, a role necessarily for Mississippi State if he yeah. came back because he got suspended this year. Like I said, had some off-field issues. Only 846 snaps in his entire college career, but his coverage grade. 87.1 as a freshman, 90.6 as a sophomore, 90.0 this past year. Like, he is so smooth in coverage, wants nothing to do with taking on any blocks, but like, one has far more value to me than the other. And yep. It's the coverage aspect. It's the can you move? Can you do it well enough? And he's very much done it well enough for Mississippi State. So, fan of his game still, but very big, you know, red flags, question marks, whatever you want to call it. Very big ones surrounding Willie Gate Jr. Uh, on to number seven, we have Patrick Queen from LSU. A lot of people high on him. 
I just don't see he's just very undersized mm-hmm. and, and very inconsistent at this point in his career. And I, I mean, I, the production from a grading standpoint is not great. I mean, exactly. Really, really good national championship like, game, but like you see playmaking ability, but it's almost like you're drafting Devin White the year before. And, and he's not near Devin White, likely, but it's like drafting Devin White the year before his junior year where, yeah. like, everything turned on and he was, like, very good in coverage. It's kind of just like you see it sometimes and you see these splash plays, but you're just like, where is he uh, on a more consistent basis? So Patrick Queen, we're going to be a little lower on than just most people, but still checks in number seven on our board probably. I think he's, like, 70-something on our draft board. So, like, still, like, a, a second to third round type of player. On number eight, Francis Bernard from Utah. We talked about him a lot. The, the thing that scares me is 25 years old already. Yep. Probably has a whole family. Uh, also threatened to kill a cop, was it? Oh, man. He did something bad at Francis BYU. Bernard, yeah. Dude, this guy's backstory is kind of wild. I mean, it's pretty yeah. wild. I, so, I think he's going to be 25 years old yeah. his rookie he, year he at some point. some I, big red flags also himself. That's why he's out at number eight. Number nine, Logan Wilson from Wyoming. Uh, and number 10, David Woodward from Utah State. Really really just pumping that West Coast, the out west there, yeah, uh, down at the stretch, bottom of yeah. the top 10. But yeah, David Woodward had a great grade his sophomore year back in 2018. Great, actually, fairly well this year. But he's just, he's slightly built and not particularly athletic. Like, he's like almost like just above the baseline you want for linebacker. Like, I love his instincts, love the way he plays football, but he's not particularly explosive and not terribly athletic. There's only, there's so, only one thing from that top ten that I really want you to kind of push further on is it, it, Kenneth Murray. Because this mm-hmm. Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma is, is very athletic, rangy. This guy's been talked about going in the first round of the 2020 draft. Why do you see him lower? I mean, Akeem Davis, Akeem Davis Gaither over him, Troy Dye. This is not as not as close as consensus. I think where are you at with Kenneth Murray? What on field kind of puts him down on five? Maybe maybe I'm just jaded, but it, to me he reminds me of Jared Davis mm-hmm. of the Lions, who's been bad. In the yeah, and, and it's because Jared Davis was just if he saw something happening in front of him, he would get there like a rocket ship in the blink of an eye, make the play back at you know Florida. He had some ridiculously good pass rushes, some very nice plays in the flat and on screens. But then, like, if he wasn't, one, he wasn't, you know, consistently reading stuff quickly. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that kind of changed my mind over Murray was the second half of the year. He seemed like he was much, much quicker to get in his reaction time. was His play speed was definitely speeding up. The, the mental processing, that whatever, was definitely getting faster. And that was good to see. That never really happened for Davis at the next level. But so that... You always saw him be a tick slow to react, and then anything going behind him was just like a nightmare for him in terms of, and that's still been the case for Murray. He's still getting up a lot of big plays behind him, flipping his hips and running down the field. is just the ball skills, whatever it is, it's not been there for him. So those are the two biggest concerns for me. And again, it's just tough to get sometimes like former prospects out of your head and not make that comp in your head, not yep. subconsciously. and Because there, there's, there's a lot of reasons why some guys, the light switch never flips on. And sometimes it has nothing to do with, you know, on the field. And just the fact that someone else has similar issues doesn't mean they're going to be the same guy. Let's jump to cornerback. Top 10 at the cornerback position. I, I, go ahead and start us off. Yeah, so Jeffrey Okuda, number one, Ohio State. That one's been set in stone for a while. Christian Fulton, number two, LSU. Some people are low on him. I don't really see it. Like, people are saying he's not going to test out well from a speed standpoint. I'd be surprised if he ran the 4 5 speed. I think he's still like a 4 4 guy. I love his movement skills. Still very high on him. Trayvon Diggs from Alabama, monster grade in the SEC this year. Really only had one bad game, and it was against LSU. Every cornerback had a bad game against LSU, and he was like at the catch point. So yeah, except I, for Cameron Dancer. Cameron Dancer had a we'll good game to, against yeah, LSU. Here in a little bit. Number four, C.J. Henderson. He's a guy where throw out the 19 tape, go back to 18. What he did as a sophomore is still worth a top 20 pick in the NFL mm-hmm. draft. Like he's still his man coverage ability is still worth a top 20 pick in the NFL draft. I don't care if he got beat a handful of times down the field this year with some mental lapses. All right. Number five, Jalen Johnson, Utah, distinctive player. I, I think he's going to be fairly athletic too. Doesn't have necessarily the size profile you want at the position, but he is—he's just a guy who's going to be a, big plays. Gonna be I a mean, good. Great down the football exactly. field. I think he's just a solid cornerback. What's funny? A little anecdote level. there. I was talking to Michael Pittman Jr. at the Senior Bowl, and I talked about that Utah game. And yeah. the, you know, Michael Pittman's yeah, yeah. Utah was game awesome. was insane. Yeah. And he said, I don't know why they didn't bring on that kid, that Jalen Johnson guy, to cover me because I was lighting it up. And then they never did. And yeah, Jalen Johnson stayed on the other side. I thought that I would be interested to talk to Jalen Johnson about You'd that. Pissed, Whether, yeah, right. he must have been maybe pissed, or I don't know. I don't know why he wasn't over yeah. on Pittman because Pittman was burying kids mm-hmm. on the left side. So I don't know. Jalen Johnson, I think that was interesting for Pittman. All right. On to number six, we have Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State. Love his game, love his ability to press. 
in six foot position, just so damn slightly built. Like, oh he man, looks, everyone has the same concern for dancer. Dude's thin, yeah. very thin, and it just it's not going to affect you as much. In college, You're not going to show up as much on tape in college. But like, when you face a grown man at wide receiver, like him going up against. You know, Julio Jones is just like he's gonna he's gonna beat you up. Like yeah, it, yeah. it just will. Balance like, when will you're, be a concern when you're 175 pounds and when you look like what he does, you're just not going to. You're not that pressability is not going to translate right out the gate. You just need to put on some more weight. We'll see what he comes in at at the combine. Number seven, Jeff Gladney, very fast, very good ball skills down the football field. Uh, a little up and down, has given up a lot of plays. That's a Big 12 corner though. Like that's just to be expected. Mm-hmm. These top. Actually, the top nine here, I feel very good about. So, like, I'm still like these guys are all top, very much top 50 players on our board. Eight, Bryce Hall, uh, scheme limited guy, but if you play a cover three, like he's going to not be coveted by anyone. If you're a cover three heavy team, if you're the you know the Niners, the Seahawks, the that brand, the Falcons, I guess still with retaining Dan Quinn, you're going to love Bryce Hall's game. Yep. Like he has that game. And I'll tell you right now, Bryce Hall <coughs> could be the smartest quarterback in this class. I mean, mm. this guy is an absolute grinder of the tape. And, and I think and he played wide receiver in high school. He's a former yeah. three-star recruit he is, that I, he said to me, he's like, when I first got on at Virginia, I knew that I had to be the smartest guy in the room if I was going to play with yeah. these guys because everyone was faster than me. Everyone jumped higher, all these things. He's like, I have to be the smartest guy in the room. When you talk to him, he sounds like the smartest guy in the room. There's yeah. a couple videos on YouTube of him breaking down tape with coaches or whatever it may be. This guy is legit between the ears. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I really do think play him in that cover three scheme allow him to lean on those instincts there's a reason in 2018 before the injury he led the nfl in forcing completions because this guy gets his hand on the balls he knows where the ball is coming he reads eyes well Mm. this year before the injury wasn't even yeah i get my hands on the balls too (laughs) but i mean i don't get credit for it that's the problem (laughs) but with bryce hall i think he i I really do think in the right scheme again very scheme dependent he's going to be a very good player in the nfl yes i agree all right number nine aj terrell clemson torched a bit in the national championship game has all the all the athleticism size athleticism he ticks those boxes. Like, he can move, has that all that for the position. Just really wasn't tested a lot at Clemson. And you worry, like, when the, top, the one game he did get tested this past year, it kind of didn't look good. Like, his ball skill is him at the catch point needs to improve. But I think he's still very much a top 50 player in this class. And then number 10, Noah Igben, Igbenogany. No, Igbenogany. Igbenogany. God. Noah Igbenogany of Auburn. I looked it up Igbenogany. right before. But I, I feel good about that pronunciation. I like Igbenogany. that. Igbenogany. Burner. Absolute Burner. This guy can fly. And, and again, we're, I've said there's a number of guys on these top tens. I saw it. If they came back to school, could have been top 15 or so picks. Noah Benagni is one of them. Yeah. I, I thought he very much has the speed, movement skills, the, the ability on tape. <clears throat> he's shown as like top 10 at times. Mm-hmm. The consistency, very much not there. Only two years uh, of starting for Auburn. So raw player. Over the course of his career, so raw. And like he just like hasn't gotten his, only six Pass breakups this mm-hmm. year, not a single pick. Like it didn't didn't have a ton of ball production, but like you see some reps where you're just like, damn, that's yes. like that's an watch. NFL so here, I'll say this about Noah Iguanagani: go turn on the Alabama, the Iron Bowl. Go yeah. turn on the Iron Bowl and watch every snap. Watch mm-hmm. it on the All Twenty Two sideline. Look, this guy sticks with Devontae Smith. Yep. He sticks with Jerry Judy. This guy does not get beat down the field because he's fast. He's very fast. I think this guy's a low four threes, high four twos guy. That's yeah. that's how fast Noah Iguanagani is. Yeah. So. He sneaks into the top ten. He could have been came back to school. I thought he could have been a top three cornerback mm-hmm. in this class. I, and like the NFL, sort of, they I don't think they necessarily care though about yeah. as much as we do about that ball production, about what he you know how he actually performed on the football field. So I'd expect him to very much jump some of the guys in our top nine mm-hmm. uh, in, when it comes to draft day. All right, let's jump to safety. I think it's a, what what I came away from that top ten is that this is a good cornerback class. Good cornerback class. I, I really do like some of these names: this at eight a, and a nine, seven, yeah. eight, nine, even ten. Dude, I, I, no Igbenogany. I'm I'm ready to jump in on this it, guy it, because in, on day two even because he has that speed. And and that I mean, rod, it but, needs to be a good cornerback class with the goddamn wide receiver class. Oh, true. You got to counter. Class. You got to counter. Like yeah, safeties. So. I, there, there are some good names on this list too. Let's go ahead and dive into this top ten. Yeah. Number one, Grant Delpit from LSU. Just he has. Instincts for the position and coverage ability you can't really teach. And I love that he's bigger safety at six foot four, you know, two hundred five or ten pounds or whatever he's going to weigh at the combine. Like I, I, I think that's where the safety position is going is those big dudes who can match up with tight ends with ease. That's Grant Elpit, number one safety. Number two, Ashton Davis, our boy, Dude, speedster, flies, covers more ground over the middle of the field than any other safety in this class. We've heard he's soft by some NFL evaluators, and like he's not a box safety. Like never play him in the box. No, don't do that. Let him play deep, and he is not soft deep. Like to me, he's Darnell Savage. 
in terms of Darnell Savage was very physical one-on-one against like he would was not afraid of contact mm-hmm. over the middle of the field like was not afraid to lay a big hit but if you put him in the box and ask him to take on a guard pulling you, you're gonna be you're gonna be sad like yeah. it's not gonna go well like he's just not that type of player uh that's Ashton Davis to me number three Xavier McKinney Swiss Army knife sort of safety in this class if that's what you're looking for he's gonna be number one safety on a lot of people's boards because of that I don't think he has the raw coverage ability of the top two guys in this list. That's why we're not as high on him, but he has great ball skills. Like He's made some very impressive picks over the course of his career. Uh, I, I feel very good about those top three guys mm-hmm. from Nia Safety. Draft one of those. With Ashton Davis, too, a fantastic interview. I talked to him a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, he, he was going to go on the podium, and I was like, hey, man, can we talk like formally? And he's like, oh, I, got, I got some time. I, I got to get on this podium. And then we talked a little bit informally. He's, he's a good dude. I think one thing I came away with it is this guy is not scared of tight ends. He said, dude, tight ends are the easiest things to cover <laughs> for me. Because I, I, he said, my change of direction is just better. I am better yeah. from a change of oh, direction yeah. standpoint. It allows him, he was saying, allows him to play with more confidence against bigger tight ends. I'm, I'm not sure he says the same thing against Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. or George Kittle. These guys are a little bit different animals, but safe. tight ends at the college level. Yeah. I mean, look at this tight end class. There are guys that Ashton Davis can stick with th- through and through. Yeah. On to number four, Terrell Burgess from Utah. 90.4 coverage grade this past year. Great in the slot. Great in the Feisty slot. in the slot. Yeah, very much so. He looked, he didn't look, he looked like as good as the other corners when he the one-on-ones against wide receiver. Yes. He looked as good as the other corners there, uh, what, and even though he is, you know, a safety for Utah. Maybe actually uh, almost had a pick coming from center field at the senior bowl as well. Like, he's just has a very good coverage skill set. Undersized, though. 190-something. Does not necessarily look like <laughs> safety. Yeah, yeah, On to number five, Kayvon Wallace. To me, he's my favorite slot cornerback in this class. And it's like, where do you slot a, corner, a guy who's just a full-time slot cornerback? is always difficult you know, in terms of how much do you value it. Uh, do you call him a cornerback or do you call him a safety? To me, I, I threw him with the safeties because that's what he has listed as Clemson. But to me, he's the best slot quarterback in this class. If you need a slot quarterback. Which I think has a ton of value. I think it has a ton of value, too. Uh, that's why he's the number five safety for us. If you need a slot quarterback, this is your dude. 210 pounds. Very physical at the line. Very physical around the line scrimmage in terms of playing the run game, which is necessary for a slot cornerback, but also very quick. Made a ton of plays this past year on the football. Uh, eight pass breakups, two picks over the course of this past season. 89.7 coverage grade. Like I, I think this dude... Uh, is you know almost like a Desmond King sort of instant impact slot cornerback in the NFL. Let me stop there. Let me stop you there. Slot cornerbacks, I want to talk about the value a little bit there. Okay. They have a ton of value. Slot cornerbacks and slot receivers start in today's NFL. I looked up the numbers right now. There are only five teams in the NFL that did not play 11 personnel more than 50% of the time. Yeah. Only five teams. Every team you're going against is playing more often than not 11 yeah. personnel. With that being said, over half your snaps on defense – you're going to need a guy that can mm-hmm. cover a slot receiver. And I think that's why Kevon Wallace, I think even Terrell Burgess, they have improved value. Slot quarterbacks yeah. are legit, very necessary. Even like a guy like Darnay Holmes, too, who will probably play mm-hmm. slot the next level. That has more value than people really. It's no longer negative connotation, like, oh, he's got to play in the slot. How much? Yeah. It's like, no, dude, you need a good I, slot quarterback. I just wish, though, that we saw him more as like an actual safety role. So he only played yeah. 63 snaps this past year as a deep safety. He was literally just slot and, mm-hmm. and then just playing in the box. And it's like, if you can, if you can call him, so like Tyron Matthew for the Chiefs, if you can call him a safety, uh, and then have him be your slot cornerback and bring in another safety, like if you can keep him on the field full time, there you go. Then, then you're like, then you're very valuable. But if you're purely just that guy who comes in to match, true, there's a difference. You're still there. only playing, yeah. you know, X, you know, like Desmond Keith can play safety, yeah. and then when, when he, he can also just play slot corner if you want a better slot corner. Yeah. yeah, so like you. If he had both of those, I'd be much higher on him, but I, I just don't know quite yet if he can do uh, all that. All right, on to number six, Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota. A ton of picks this past year. Love his angles uh, playing on the back end. Uh, he's Instinctive. Yeah, I, I think he's just, you know, and tackles like his dad did. Uh, very just solid football player. Number seven, Julian Blackman from Utah. Corner to safety transfer or convert this past year. Has those, ball, has those sort of like coverage skills of a corner. Uh, you, I think those two safeties were a very big reason why Utah's defense was very good because they didn't actually have a, that good of a pass rush, actually, there at Utah this past season. All right, on to number eight, J.R. Reed from Georgia. I think he's just solid, like mm-hmm. solid all-around safety. <clears throat> I, once we get down to this point, I don't love any of these guys too much in the safety class, but I think J.R. Reed is just a guy who you're not going to be worried about him busting too many coverages on the back end. He's just been very... <clears throat> Over the course of his career, oh my lord, I feel like you the other day, Uh-oh. losing my voice here. But yeah, I think he's just a very solid player. Aloe Gilman, 
I think he's a very good box option. We saw him go at the Senior Bowl do extremely well in press. Like, I think if, if that's his role at the next level, is a dime nickel safety. He's one of the best options in this draft class in terms of just, you know, you can put him in man coverage on tight ends, put him in man coverage on running backs and feel good about it, get him on the back end, put him in the slot. Mm, it might not go as well. Yeah, athleticism is a concern. Yeah. Eventually, the athleticism will concerned. catch up to him. But I think it's like if he puts on, you know, 10 to 15 more pounds, he could be a legit uh, that sort of you know a full-time box player, and then Jalen Elliott raises draft stock a ton in my eyes at the Senior Bowl. A ton of everyone's of eyes. He, I mean, he, there are NFL guys there. It's like this guy's had the best Senior Bowl of anyone. Yeah, he had, the length is shows up on tape. His ability to play the catch point very much shows up on tape. Like again and again, he just can get around wide receivers, tight ends, get around, break balls up. Uh, he's been fairly productive uh, over the course of his career. 2018 had a big grade. Uh, not so much this year. He's not the best athlete. I don't think he's going to test well uh, whatsoever, but I think uh, he'll just be a solid sort of solid tackler and another guy who uh, I think if you match up in man coverage against tight ends, you, you have sort of a weapon there. I think So uh, takeaways there, and this is the last takeaways before we wrap up the podcast. The first three safeties are, are, are game changers. These guys can be game changers at the next level, be kind of somewhat yes. versatile. After that, you're looking at, Slot cornerback converts, guys that exactly. are playing your like dime. You're not, you're not going to love what you're picking at safety after you know Xavier McKinney of mm-hmm. Alabama. I think Terrell Burgess, though I think you'll love what he can do. Very he much can't do the same. Guys. Yeah, very role-specific guys. And you, you have that at the cornerback position, too. Like Bryce Hall mm-hmm. has to play in zone. I mean, there's going to be guys that you've got to kind of be more scheme-dependent. But I think with the safety class, that's even very much more so. so after Xavier McKinney of Alabama. That's going to do it. For the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast, a little Super Bowl preview, and also those top 10 at each defensive position. We'll be back Tuesday. We're doing three podcasts a week now with 2 for 1 Drafts. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Again, this is Austin Gale, Mike Brenner, 2 for 1 Drafts.